listening to the Learning to Believe Again podcast with your host, Brittany Bexton. Where do you begin when you're learning to believe again? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. So I know for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about miracles and I've had guests on to share about their personal miracles. That will continue, but I'm also doing a teaching episode this week because I want to talk about miracles and how do you stand and contend for your own miracles in your own lives. You've heard a lot of different stories about how people experienced theirs. You've heard from people that have prayed for other people's miracles and seen it happen, and the Lord gave them a word or a promise some of the times. But how do you stand for your own miracle? So I know that if you have not stood for a miracle before, you might not know how to do this. So I'm going to do kind of a brief overview. I'm going to talk about some of the types of miracles that God can do. And I'm going to give you three verse examples that you can take with you today and stand on. So you can get a word directly from the Lord, a promise directly from God to you. Maybe it comes in a dream. Maybe it comes in a vision. Maybe it is an audible voice of God. Maybe you get a prophetic word from another person. Maybe it comes in all of those ways. Often God will confirm a personal prophetic word to us. So that's one way you can get a promise of God. And you are to war with those words. That's what Paul tells Timothy, that he is to war with the prophetic words that have been spoken over him. So that's one way to contend for a miracle. One of the guests I had on, Linda Cowan, talked about how she got words of knowledge about ways to pray and things to do and things to speak out. So sometimes the Lord will give us a specific word or even a word of knowledge for something that needs to be dealt with. Inner healing and deliverance can lead to breakthrough and miracles when we hit the right thing and we deal with that thing. The Lord might also give us a specific word to speak out, and that word in and of itself brings the breakthrough. But one of the main ways that we can stand for a miracle and a promise is through the word of God that is written in the Bible. And you might not have gotten a personal prophetic word about what you are contending for and believing for. Maybe you are struggling in your finances, but you are believing for breakthrough and miracle provision, but you haven't gotten a word about that from from any prophetic people or from the Lord directly. Guess what? There are words about that in the Bible, and you can stand on the word of God in the Bible. You might not have gotten a specific word about your loved one who is struggling and far from God right now, but there are words in the word of God that deal with those things. You might not have gotten a word specifically personally about healing, but God promises in his word that you are healed, that he heals his people. So we can stand on the word of God. So with that, I am going to read a couple of stories to you from the Bible that talk about different kinds of miracles. We've talked a lot about healing miracles. We have not talked much 
about financial miracles, but I have experienced them myself where the Lord has provided not just money to me for certain situations and times, but also provided resources and even housing for me. But I want to talk about this story in the Bible because this is one of the stories that you can pick some verses from and stand on, but it's also just very encouraging and it reminds us who God is. So Elijah was a very well-known prophet in the land and Elijah had called for a drought. The Lord had him call for a drought. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. So he called for a drought. Well, guess what happened in that time during a drought? The food stopped being produced. Animals couldn't live without water. People struggled without water unless they had it stored up. And the crops couldn't grow. So he actually called trouble on himself. But the Lord took care of Elijah. This next section is entitled, Elijah Fed by Ravens. So verse 2 says, Then the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So ravens, something that would normally be a bird that takes food, actually brought him food. The Lord caused that to happen. So now we're moving on to verse 7, and this is the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. So this comes after the raven and the brook that God just sent him to. So it says in verse 7, Some time later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, where he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That is what she said. So she did not have very much hope. Moving on to verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. 
She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So we see these miracles of provision. First, we see the ravens feed him. Then he goes to a widow in a totally different town. She's not even one of his people. And yet God provides for her and for Elijah at the same time. Elijah spoke the word of the Lord that it would not run out and it did not run out. So now this next part of this story is actually not a provision miracle. This is a healing and resurrection miracle, but it's so powerful. I thought this was a good one to share. So we get to verse 17. And this is still the widow of Zarephath and Elijah speaking. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So we see miracles of provision in that story and we see a resurrection miracle. He didn't just heal, that child came back to life from a word and a prayer to God. So those are some verses you could pull from that. This is 1 Kings 17 that I just read. You could pull some pieces from that to stand on. I'm going to move on to another story that talks about provision and miraculous provision. So this is Genesis 26. I'm starting at the beginning. A severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. 
So he listened to the word of the Lord, and he stayed there, where there was a famine. Now we're moving down to verse 12. It says, When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. For the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. So God can bless you and cause your harvest and your seed to prosper even a hundred times more, even in a time of famine. Now I'm skipping over to Mark 8, and there are actually a couple of stories in this that I want to share. One is a provision story, and one is a healing story. So we are going to start in verse 4 of Mark 8. His disciples replied, How are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. So 4,000 people were fed off of seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, because Jesus blessed the loaves and thanked God for them, and trusted that God would provide all that they needed. And he did. So later in Mark 8, we get to this story where Jesus heals a blind man. So here is a healing miracle. We're going to start in verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then... Spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. So there are a few things in this story I want to point out that I think are powerful. One, Jesus did a very unconventional thing to heal this man's eyes. He spit in his eyes. Now that's not something that we would think to do normally. But Jesus has said in the Bible, and it in other parts of the Bible, that he only does what he sees his father God doing. That means that Jesus got a word from the Lord that that's how he needed to heal this man. He didn't spit in his eyes to shame him. He spit in his eyes to heal him because that is what God told him to do. Now, sometimes we get too caught up in the way we think that God will heal. 
when really we need to seek God and ask God how this is going to happen and what needs to be done for the healing to take place. It might be very unconventional. This was very unconventional for Jesus to spit in a man's eyes. But when we know that we know that we have heard the word of the Lord, we act on the word of God because it's God's word that heals. Now that's the one first point I want to make with this. The second is Jesus healed this man, but the first healing that came, he got his sight back, but he couldn't see clearly. It wasn't the full restoration or the full manifestation of his healing. So Jesus laid his hands on him again. He did it again. He put his hands on the man's eyes again. Sometimes we have to go again and again until we get the complete and total healing. And sometimes healing is a process even when it comes from God. But once Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes again, that man was able to see everything clearly. At that point, he got the total and complete healing and restoration of his sight. So we want to press until we get the total healing and restoration. Because God is not a God of a partway healing or a partway restoration or a partially fulfilled promise. He is the God that does it totally and completely. Totally and completely. So keep pressing until it comes all the way. Sometimes it is a process. Now, the third thing I want to point out is that Jesus sent him away and said, don't go back into the village on your way home. In doing this, Jesus is actually saying, don't go the way you usually go. Do it differently this time. He has a fresh start, a new beginning, a healing that Jesus has given him. And Jesus is telling him that now it's time for something different. So now I'm going to actually look at a parable Now, we do see miraculous turnarounds with people coming to the Lord in Scripture. Saul is one of the most famous encounters with Jesus where what seemed like a hopeless case was turned around and brought fully to Jesus, and he was turned from the wrong path to the right one. When Jesus confronted him in Acts, And Jesus knocked Saul off of his horse and blinded Saul and showed Saul the power of God and rebuked him for what he was doing. And he showed Saul that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Saul had to pay a price for a number of days. Saul had to experience the helplessness that came with being blind for a number of days, not because God was going to leave him that way, but because God needed to show Saul who God is, the one true God, and would be able to serve him fully. And then God sent a man, Ananias, to Saul to open his eyes. And Saul saw the truth, and Saul began to walk on the path that God had for his life. And Saul got a new name, and he became Paul. So I want to encourage you that 
if you have loved ones that you have been praying for to come back to the Lord, they're not too far gone to come back to the Lord and start walking the path that God actually has for their lives. And in this, we see the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. And I'm sharing this because this is how we are to greet our loved ones, the prodigals, when they come back to God. This is how God greets us when we return after being foolish or going the wrong way. And there is a verse in here that you can stand on for your loved ones that you are contending for. So this is the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. About the same time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant." So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now in this, there are a number of things. If you feel like you have messed up and fallen away from God, he wants you to know that you are not so far that he will not love you. In fact, sometimes we lessen our identity because of things that we have done. But the truth is that our identity is not about the things that we have done. It is about who we are. Shame wants us to feel like the mistakes that we have made mean that we are not good. Guilt says that that thing that I did was wrong. And shame says that because I did that thing that was wrong, I am wrong. We have to reject shame. 
and know that when we turn away from sin, we are forgiven. This father says that his son was dead but returned to life and was lost but is found. In that moment, the prodigal son came to his senses. So if you have been holding something against yourself, but you have already come to your senses and come back to the Lord, stop holding that thing against yourself. Let God love you in each place that you hurt because of the mistakes that you made. Let him heal you. And stop holding it against yourself in your family and with the people that have loved you despite the things that you've done. Do not let shame get between you and the godly relationships in your life. Because once we repent, our sin is as far away as the East is from the West. And actually, when when we carry shame, it can block breakthrough. Sometimes healing is just on the other side of forgiving yourself and releasing shame. So that is one thing. I also want you to pay attention specifically to this verse. It says, when he finally came to his senses. That is what God does for all of us. When we have strayed or gone the wrong direction or made a mistake, he brings us to our senses. And this is a verse that you can stand on for your loved ones. Maybe they've been struggling with addiction. Maybe they've been walking a path that you know is not right for them, that is ungodly, and that is not healthy. And you call them to their senses. You call them to their senses, just as this son in this parable came to his senses your loved ones will come to their senses. Call them to their senses and use this verse. It's Luke 15, verse 17. Okay, so those are all of the stories I wanted to share. And I'm going to give you some verses to stand on. But what I encourage you to do is go through the Bible and select verses specifically about the things that you are contending for. I'm going to give you one for each of these topics, but it's better to stand on more than one verse. And sometimes God will give you a verse that is specifically for you and your situation. So here is one for healing. This is Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. That's a promise. By the stripes of Jesus Christ, we are healed. You can stand on that for your own healing and for the healing of your loved ones. Okay, here is one for finances. Deuteronomy 1.11. May the Lord, God of your fathers, make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. So God can bless us and will bless us as he has promised, but he can make us even a thousand times more numerous. He can give us those promises even in a thousand times more abundance. So when you're calling forth abundance for your finances, you can use this verse, Deuteronomy 1.11. Now, this one is for your loved ones that you are contending for to come to their senses and to come to repentance. This is 2 Timothy 2.25-26. 
God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. They escape the trap of the enemy because God grants them repentance. And that again is 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26. So those are verses to get you started, but I encourage you to do a deep dive and search for verses about healing. Search for verses about financial abundance or increase in finances or God's provision. Search for verses about repentance, about bringing people to their senses, about opening their eyes. Search for the verses and let God give them to you. God gave me a verse to decree at one point for a loved one. He gave me the number over and over again, and then he revealed to me that it was a Bible verse decree. So let the Lord guide you, but those are a place to start. We can always stand on the word of God. Contend for your miracles. I hope this blessed you, and I will talk to you next week. Have a blessed week. to